success looks so easy from the outside, but all successful people have had to overcome enormous obstacles along the way. And in many cases, look failure right in the eye. Most successful people don't focus on the struggle and rarely do they talk about it because quite frankly, that's not what creates success. Join us here where we will chat with fierce female entrepreneurs and share the good, the bad, and the ugly of entrepreneurship and talk about the obstacles we have faced and how you can overcome them to reach the success that you desire. I am your host, Cami Lehman, and this is the She's Invincible Podcast. Hey guys, well, here we are at our 100th episode on the She's Invincible podcast. Oh my gosh, what a journey. So it was January of 2020 and I was just dropping out of my imperfect webinar class. My friend Susan Leonardson, host of Amplify Your Impact podcast, approached me about podcast school. I jumped right in and on March 2nd, 2020, 11 days before the world was shut down due to the pandemic, I launched a top-rated podcast on iTunes. In fact, it was number 42 in the business entrepreneurship category. And so the journey continued. We've had the most amazing guests on our show. We've had doctors, attorneys, authors, coaches, speakers, and entrepreneurs from all walks of life. I've made so many amazing new friends, learned so much about business, love, life, and loss, and getting back up. Not only have I been podcasting, but I have helped 13 others launch top-rated podcasts too. I am so excited to share with you what's next, that I am launching the Be Invincible Podcast School on January 3rd, 2022. I was thinking about what I could do that would be special for our 100th episode. And my friend suggested I select my top four to six episodes that were my favorite and to share what I learned from them. This was such a great idea. I binged, watched and listened and read transcripts until I realized that every single one of the episodes on the She's Invincible podcast was my favorite. It was impossible to choose from 100 episodes, my favorite four or six. Our most invincible woman of our 100 episodes is Gina Estrada. We recorded her episode on October 5th, 2020, and she passed away from her battle with cancer on November 3rd, 2020. Gina is featured in episode 39, which was published on October 19th, 2020, just two weeks before she passed away. The greatest gift was when I shared Gina's episode with her husband, Bob, and he was overwhelmed with emotion when he heard her voice for the first time in a year. This work has impacted me in ways I cannot express, and my life has been forever changed. Thank you for supporting 
the She's Invincible podcast. So I chose this episode, episode 100, to share my new friend, Christina Vitaliano. She's the author of Every Nine Minutes and founder of Monster Mini Golf. This episode needs no explanation. But before I introduce Christina, I want you to know that I am so grateful for each and every client and every one of you that have been a guest, a subscriber, or a part of my Rockstar team. As I record this, it is the week of Thanksgiving. I am enjoying my other home away from home in Aruba, and I want to wish you and your family a very happy, safe, and healthy Thanksgiving this 2021. Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of a very grateful heart. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today on the She's Invincible podcast. And we have another invincible woman for you today. We have Christina Vitaliano with us today. She is the founder of Monster Mini Golf. It's a nationwide chain of indoor family entertainment centers. She is the author of her memoir, Every Nine Minutes, which was just published in May of this year. And we are so excited to bring her to you today to share her wisdom and just everything that is going to make your life better. So, Christina, welcome to the She's Invincible podcast. We are so excited to have you with us today and to share your story with our listeners. Well, thank you very much for having me today. I'm excited. (laughs) Oh, I've been waiting for this. I told my friends, I'm interviewing the woman (laughs) who started Monster Mini Golf. And they, they, yeah, they don't think I'm nuts. But listen, this is so amazing. And you've done amazing things. So let's just jump in. Let's tell our listeners how you got where you are today. And what makes you invincible? Wow. Okay. Um, I started, I, I started with nothing. I don't really come from uh, any money or a good background of that sort. I had a crazy childhood. Um, and honestly, I, I had sat down oh, over 20 years ago and I started writing a memoir and I got it all down on paper. And then I realized that if I want to get it published back then, that it was going to cost about $5,000 to have it professionally edited. And that's a big thing when you, when you write a book, cause that's important. Um, at the time I didn't have an extra $5,000. It was uh, my husband, myself. I had left my career because I was a workaholic. I quit my job and I was working with him because I wanted to focus on a relationship and not have my work consume me. So I decided that maybe I could build something in the warehouse where he stores all of his equipment. He was a, he owned a production company and rented it for sound and things like that. So I thought, well, what if I create a business that's just like my friend and myself and I raise a $5,000 to have my book edited and then I could make money at the same time. So that's how monster mini golf started. (laughs) Um, so one day on our ride home from New York, we had gone away for the weekend and, um, I was thinking, I said to my husband, I think I know what I want to do. And he said, okay, what? I said, I'm going to do mini golf indoors. And he said, why? (laughs) Um, We lived in New England. And he said, why does anybody want to do mini golf indoors? That's an outdoor sport. Uh, If sport, you know, if you can use that word for mini golf. So I said, well, because 
I need to be able to work year round and I need to raise by $5,000 and I want to be able to have a job at the same time. And he said, but why mini golf? And I said, well, I want to do something fun because we live in an old rundown town and, um, and the people here can't afford. I always used to hear, we can't even afford to take our kids to the movies anymore because the movies are so expensive and they are. Um, so I wanted to do something that costs less than the movies. So mini golf in my head was always less than the movies. And I wanted to do something that had little to no overhead. Um, and mini golf, when you play, you hand somebody a club and a ball. And when they're done, they hang that club and ball back. So you're not selling anything except time and fun. And I didn't want it to have a lot of like employees and things like that. So me and a friend could do it. Those that's the way I came up with. I'm going to do mini golf indoors. That was it. <laughs> that's amazing. And yeah. I love it because even when it rains, people can go to monster mini golf, right? Yes. Yep. So we're open year round. We're indoors. We're very climate controlled. Um, and people say, well, why monsters? You know, at the time, the place where we were building um, was this old dilapidated mill and some of my background includes restaurant and nightclub management, some of it's business management and retail, but I did learn in the nightclub background that if you paint everything black and you make everything glow, then all you see is what glows. So that's why we're black lights is because I didn't have the money to renovate this big space. And monsters um, were created because I'm not a sculptor. I'm not an artist. I'm very creative in my head. But that doesn't mean that what comes out of your head looks wonderful. <laughs> so, so I made monsters because they are exactly whatever you want them to be. So, oh, that's and they're fabulous. I just, I love your background with just oh, these monsters are amazing. You. Yes. Who would ever think monsters could be fun, right? They are fun. Yes. They are. They are. So let's, um, well, tell us what makes you invincible. Uh, I think I'm not, I don't know if I'm invincible, except that you want a cape if you're going to be invincible. I want a cape. Okay. <laughs> I, I think, think I can arrange for that. I know. That sounds cool, doesn't it? Um, I think what makes me invincible, if you're going to say that, is whenever I, I'm fearless. So if I have an idea or if I have a thought, I'm going to try it and I don't care if it fails. And a lot of people aren't like that. So my thought process is always, if I do this, what's the worst that can happen? And when I get the answer of this is the worst that can happen, I say to myself, can I live with that? And if the answer is yes, then I just do it. Um, but I didn't come from a lot of money. I don't come from a great background. So I've always survived the worst. And if I can do that, then I just don't care. And everybody, at the beginning of this, my husband would say, what if it doesn't work? And I said, so then I go work at McDonald's or Walmart. What's the worst that can happen? I still have a job. I can walk. I can talk. I, I can get a job. So that's always been my philosophy and everything. Not sure it's a great answer, but that's it. It's amazing. So, and so I'm assuming you got the $5,000 that you needed because now the book has been published. <laughs> so that that's awesome. Congratulations to you. Thank you. And tell us about, um, we're going to, we are going to jump into your topic, which is um, how to start a business with little to no money. So you did share <laughs> a little bit about the background of that, but I know there's more, but I also would love for you to share about some of these collaborations that you have with some famous people that yeah. you're also, yeah, that you have other franchise um, properties. Yeah. So when we opened the first Monster Mini Golf, which is back in 2004, 
Um, I had no idea that it would turn into 30 locations and, and two in Las Vegas and co-branded and things like that. That wasn't the plan at all. All I wanted to do was survive and, and get a book published. That was my only goal back then. But after I opened the first Monster Mini Golf Buddy, we opened in May of 2004. We actually opened, on, we opened an indoor golf course on Memorial Day weekend in New England, um, which was probably the worst time in the world to ever open anything so weird, but it worked. So by the end of that summer, um, we were busy. And all I could hear out in the crowd on a weekend were all the parents saying, this place is a gold mine, this place is a gold mine. And I got scared. And I said to my husband, um, at, I said, somebody's going to steal our idea. And, and I don't want that to happen. So you have two choices at that point. Um, one, you can open another location. We can put it into a city we, closest to Providence, Rhode Island at the time. We can go there. Or in my head, we could franchise. And this is as much as I knew about franchising, like McDonald's and Dunkin' Donuts did. End of my education on franchising was that sentence. Right? So, um, And he said, how are you going to franchise franchise something? I said, I have no idea. Um, so I got online and said, and I really just typed in, how do you franchise a business? And I had a handful of answers. I called a handful of companies that actually take your business, which is a good thing to know if you have a business and you're thinking, should I franchise it? Um, you should have it evaluated. So they go through, they just dissect your business. Are, are you profitable enough? Um, are you are you running this right? Do you have the organization to do this? Can you teach people how to build? How are you going to build another one? Like a million questions. Um, so we went through that entire process with one company who thought indoor mini golf was a great idea. Everybody else just hung up on me. So, so we went through the whole process and it was one day uh, we flew out to Chicago and the company that had interest said, Hey, we, we want, we want to learn about what you're doing. So my husband and I, um, and he didn't work. He wasn't in the business at the time. We flew out to Chicago on that day and we got there and I, I will never forget this because if, if you're just a normal average person who doesn't come from money, it's intimidating to grow your business in, in so many ways. It's intimidating. So I remember getting off the plane that day and they said, Hey, somebody's going to pick you up. Just look for, you know, so-and-so he'll have your name on a card. Great. Okay. So we walked out of the airport and we stood there and there was a guy like in a tux Looked like a, you know, a chauffeur or very, very nice suit, black and white. Right? And he had our name on a card. And I was like, uh-oh, that guy looks important. And he, and he said, come on over. I'm going to give you a ride to the office. So great. So we walked over to him and it was a Mercedes sedan that was just beautiful. And I remember looking at my husband and I'm in jeans. He's in jeans. We're just casual people. And I said, I think we're in over our head. <laughs> but by the end of that day, we had learned, hey, you need to know marketing, you need to know financing, you need to know all these things. And even if you are a franchisable business, then it's going to take nine or 10 months before you become legal to start selling franchises because we're regulated by the FTC. So that was something new too. But um, we got to the top of the building that day. And every time we left the floor and went to the next floor, we gained like a little corporate person that followed us. So we had a finance person, we had a marketing person, you have an everything, everything you could imagine. So I remember sitting up there at this conference table and there was my husband, myself, and probably six or seven other corporate people all in suits. And they said, what do you think about today? And I said, well, that, that was a great educational day. And they said, do you think you want to franchise your business? Because we do think that Monster Mini Golf is franchisable. So my husband and I, I remember looking at each other and said, sure, that's great. Let's, let's do it. 
And he said, all we need is $130,000. And we went, what? <laughs> um, we don't have $130,000 to franchise a business. And then I felt, oh man, this is all a sales pitch and we're getting scammed and blah, blah, blah. So you get really, you get scared, you know? So um, he explained that every single one of those things that we just learned about is costly and takes time and, and you're regulated by the FTC and blah, blah, blah. So again, we said, we don't have the $130,000. And he said, all right, well, hang on a second, stay here. And he got up and he left and all of them left. And Pat and I are just sitting, Patrick's my husband, we're just sitting in this conference room by ourselves, terrified, wondering what's gonna happen next. Um, a couple of minutes later, this little man comes in full of energy and he has our website in his hand and he's printed every single page. And back then a mini golf place wouldn't have had a website but I did because in my back, my, my background before was I had an antique auction house. So you had to have websites. So I had learned myself how to make a website. So I had that. And I remember him taking those papers and he just flung them all over the conference table. And I sat there and went, this guy's insane. <laughs> and he said, look, he said, we, we take about a hundred applications a year. And of those hundred applications, 90% of them are restaurants or the service industry because that's what franchising usually is. And, and that, that's true to this day. And he said, this business is different. He said, but I like it because you've taken something that's been a proven concept for almost a hundred years and you just gave it a 21st century twist. He said, so I think we should franchise it. Again, we don't have $130,000. Yeah. He said, what if I loaned it to you? And I was like, who is this man? And they said, this is the owner of the company. And he, he just happens to like your business. And Pat and I looked at each other. We're like, what, what does that mean? He said, how about you two just take five minutes and you decide how much you can afford per month over the next nine or 10 months while you're becoming legal to franchise. When you get legal to franchise, he said, your franchise fee will be about $30,000 for somebody to, to buy into a monster mini golf franchise. Of that 30 grand, you give me 10,000. And then when you're paid off, you're paid off, but you need the rest of it to actually, you know, create the franchise. So I remember looking at him, we looked at each other and went, what's the worst that can happen? Same thing. Okay, we're going to do it. Um, it was at 29.9% interest alone. So we signed off on it. And then we got back on that plane and we looked at each other and said, we just did something so big, way bigger than we ever thought we were going to do with our lives. How do we make this work now? So we decided that he was going to sell his audio production company or whatever he could get for it. And we were going to sell everything that we owned with the exception of our vehicle. And we were going to move into our golf course. So <laughs> we did that. And we lived in our office on an inflatable mattress with our 204 pound Mastiff for nine months. But by the time we became legal to sell, we sold our first franchise on the second day. We handed that man $10,000 and that was the last $10,000 we owed him. That so is amazing. People ask what it takes to be successful when you don't have anything. It takes everything that you have <laughs> pretty much. And then some. That's such a great answer. Oh yeah. my gosh. Wow. Talk about a faith walk. You just, you sold was everything. Insane. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, that's we going to encourage a lot of people. Yeah, it was crazy. We put fake showers, like we hid a shower, like a shower, like, you know, just, just, you know, we hid that behind 
like curtains in the bathroom of the mini golf and I would shower. It was, it was horrible. I would never do that again, but it was horrible. But look at you now. Oh, I know. And, I know. Yes, that's amazing. So, and tell us about how you were able to collaborate with KISS. So I, and I, this all started with, um, I'm, I, I, I don't like the pace of life. Sometimes I always want to move faster than the pace of life. Like how do we be more successful, but not have to wait 20 years because everybody will tell you it takes time. I'm like, I don't want, I, that's not a good answer for me. So I thought we had about maybe 12 or 13 locations then. And folks used to say at the end of a business meeting, Hey, you have any other questions or things like that? And I used to say, yeah, you have Gene Simmons cell phone number. I think we want to do a kiss mini golf in Las Vegas someday. Uh, because we used to go to trade shows in Las Vegas a lot. And if, you, if you've been to a monster mini golf, the last hole on our course is this giant clown head that I made. And my husband is a KISS fan. Um, and all of his friends said, why didn't Christina just make Gene Simmons's head so you can golf up his tongue? And the answer is because we would get sued because um, <laughs> that's a trademark issue. But it became this ongoing joke. So over time, that's that's what happened. Um, so eventually I said, you know what? I didn't know we were going to be franchised. I didn't know we were going to have the money to maybe do this. So maybe that's real. So that's how that question started. And then one day somebody said, actually, I do have his attorney's number. And I think that's how you have to start this deal. So I remember I said, okay, I have a card. I left the meeting that night. The next day we got into the office. I didn't say anything to anybody. Um, I looked at the card and there was an email on it, which is much safer than a phone call. <laughs> so I emailed and I said, you know, there, Mr. Randolph, I think this is what we want to do. Um, this is why we want to do it. And that's it. And I sent the email and I got up from my desk and I said to the, our, our office person, I said, look, I'm going to get a cup of coffee and do some other things. And I just forgot about the email because I figured I'd never hear from him again. So I came back with my coffee and um, and Liz, she was she took care of all of our office stuff. She said, um, there's a Mr. Randolph on the phone. He'd like to speak to you. And I thought, holy cow, I am not prepared for this. At all. <laughs> so I spent the next 45 minutes talking to a very intelligent, um, great guy. And about a year later, we had a kiss contract. And that it cost amazing. us a lot of money. It's yes. a lot of money. <laughs> it was a lot of money back then. Oh, my God. It was so it was so much. After we signed the contract and everything was done, all the paperwork was done, it was through Live Nation at the time. Um, that's when we started to design it. And when you start to design something um, with the folks from KISS, Paul and Jean are very, very protective of their brand. They're very interested in what everybody does. So that's when it was time to meet them. Um, so we met Paul and Jean. And for whatever reason, I hit it off with Jean. I get along with him very well. And we've been working on many other projects for the last 10 years. <laughs> what a fun, amazing story. That is awesome. So, so awesome. Yep, not dull. <laughs> no, no, for sure. So one more thing that I wanted, another topic I wanted to talk about um, briefly is unique, you know, the unique marketing hurdles, right? So, yeah. and we talked about this before we actually started recording just briefly about how marketing before 2020 and now in yep. 2021 is very different. So I would love for you to share all of your insight in this area for a few minutes about this unique, um, the marketing hurdles, you know, what you're thinking now, what it was like for you then, but now what you're seeing in, you know, today. 
Sure. Um, what my my feeling for building the Kiss Cobra venue in Las Vegas was how do I get from being you know seven years old to being twenty seven years old with our company, and how do I skip take a big jump? So. My reasoning was that if we co-brand with a brand that's so much bigger than us and we stick a sign in Las Vegas, how many eyeballs see that? And the publicity that we got for opening that venue and, and Monster Mini Golf has co-branded with the rock, legendary rock group Kiss, that was marketing. That was all about marketing. It, the, the, the actual venue itself was almost secondary and we're coming up on our 10th anniversary now there. So that was to me a marketing ploy and then we did it again a couple of years well, about five or six years later we co-branded another location in las vegas with cbs um, with the twilight zone so i consider those marketing outside the box how do you get bigger and better without waiting 20 years to do it um other end of that is yeah you're right you're absolutely right um it's changed so much pre you know 2000 or pre god in the last five or six years because social media is probably the number one way to market your business now. So, Amazing. and the upside is what used to cost thousands and thousands of dollars to do doesn't anymore. That's a huge asset to anybody who's starting a business now. For sure. Yeah. Live, it's yes. free. Yeah, it's different, right? You get on yeah. there, post some pictures, some live video, yep. right? Yep. Have, yeah, that's wild. Wild. Amazing. So what's your next plan for monster mini golf? Do you have a new, another new location opening? You had to know I was going to ask you this, right? <laughs> Tell us what's next. This is so fun and exciting. We have, um, we've got four new ones on deck. So we have Seattle, we have Memphis, we have a second Long Island location and I'm missing one somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, um, but I know we, we have four that we're building. We're always adding franchises and building new locations. So um, I think when you are a franchise business, so I went from being the owner and creator of this cool little mini golf course to being a franchisor. Very, very different, different careers, very different paths and, and so many things you have to know. So I think I spent the first seven years of monster mini golf and franchising, learning how to franchise, learning how to be yeah. a successful franchise, successful franchisor. Now at almost 20 years old, we're fine-tuned. So we're ready to go from the 30 locations we have to 130 locations. And I feel good about it, you know, opposed to growing very, very fast and then dealing with the repercussions later. And that is amazing because right now there are more entrepreneurs, right? More people leaving corporate jobs yeah. and becoming entrepreneurs and franchisees. And so what a great opportunity. I mean, there's new kids being born all over, right? In the world yeah. <laughs> and, and even grownups who love to mini golf as yeah. well. Uh, so what a great opportunity for people out there that are looking for something to do or whatever their next thing is going to be. I love that. That's Thank awesome. You. Thank you so much for sharing all that. It's just so fun. Well, I would love to talk about your book. Oh my gosh. Every nine minutes. Oh my gosh. So, and I know I said this to you earlier that I started reading this. I read all the books of all the authors that we have on the She's Invincible podcast, because I want to know you. I want to know who you are. I want to know your story and I want to learn from you. And so today I read the first 46 pages and I'm definitely moved to my core. And I would love for you to share with our listeners, what is this book about? Why do they need to read it? What are they going to learn from it? 
Um, it's titled Every Nine Minutes. So people ask, hey, why do you title it Every Nine Minutes? It's titled Every Nine Minutes because um, in the U.S., every nine minutes, there's a reported case of child abuse. Reported. So, um, and this book is about my background and it's my memoir, which spans over 30 years from the late 60s um, to the early 90s. And I never reported it. Um, and I think the majority of people that this has happened to haven't reported it. So if we're at the fact, we're at like this statistic where every nine minutes, somebody has reported a case of childhood, I can't even imagine what it really is. So I think everybody knows somebody that it's happened to, whether they talk about it or not, it's a different story, but I think everybody has somehow been connected to somebody who's dealt with it. Um, I think there are a lot of books that have been written on the subject, a lot of memoirs that are written on the subject, and a lot of them write about the actual incident and what happened, the, the, whatever the, the trauma or the drama and the trauma that happened to that person while that was happening. And I covered that in my memoir, but what was more important when I grew older is that I realized not only did all that stuff happen, and that was horrible, it shouldn't happen to anybody, but it affected every facet of my life along the way. And I wanted to share that with people. I wanted to share that it's not just about the person, unfortunate, it should never happen, what happened to him and the person that did it. It's about the rest of your entire life because they mess that up on you and that's not fair and you don't even know sometimes that that's why you're doing the things that you're doing um so i and at the end of it i also wanted people to see that you don't have to become a statistic of this is what happens because of this um i i've managed and still managing because everybody i think that has something like this happen to them um it doesn't go away it's just there all the time but I've managed to not let that overcome my life. And I managed to overcome and balance that on a heavier side, let that go down and take, Hey, that sucked. I hated it. I never wanted it to happen to anybody, but I'm not going to let it own me. So it's, it's wow. out there to share for others to say, it's not just happening to me because it happens to so many children, boys and girls, and it's just all over the place. Um, and nobody wants to talk about it. And that really sucks out loud. Um, and it's out there for parents because I think it's happening in households and the mom or the dad knows it, but isn't really sure it's happening, but needs to read something like this to say, oh, damn, this might be an issue in my house. Um, and it's out there for people that are our age that know that we have to deal with it all of our lives. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, thank you so much for the courage that it took for you to tell your story to, it is not easy to put that out oh. in the world, <laughs> right? Like that makes yeah. you invincible. If even it wasn't all these other amazing things that you've done, but to be able to take your story as horrible as it was and be able to share it with other people to make a difference in the world and to, to do what you can, your part to stop it, right? To, to yeah. make people more aware of what is going on and to stop it. And I'm, I, we're going to talk more about this before we end this episode. 
But um, for right now, I just want to say thank you so much and tell our listeners that the link to order this book is in the show notes. Just click on the show notes, get this book. You will want to read this book. It will empower you you to be able to make better choices and to support the people in your life. Um, So let's do this. Let's tell our listeners where they can find you. Uh, Easy. Uh, My website is 123christinav.com. (laughs) I love it. One, two, three, Christina V. And again, the links will also be in the show notes. So just click the show notes while you're listening. And now a word from our sponsor, Christine Trumbull, founder of Coaching the Climb, understands the challenges of building a successful business. She's faced many of those challenges herself and helped hundreds of clients build successful businesses. With the launch of her new podcast, The Climb with Christine, you will hear the same advice she gives her clients, as well as conversations with experts in a variety of topics, including business, health, relaxation, mindset, kids, and fashion. Check it out on iTunes, The Climb with Christine, and be sure to subscribe, download, and give her a rating and review. So Christina, oh my gosh, I am just so grateful that you're here and that you're sharing your success, right? We promise our listeners on the She's Invincible podcast that we're going to bring fierce female entrepreneurs and we're going to share their success, their journey, all of the things and share so that people can actually learn to do what you do, what you did, how you got where you are and how they can do it too. And I appreciate you so much for doing that. We also promise them that we're going to pull back the curtain. We're going to share, everyone sees how successful you are and you're in your part of Monster Mini Golf and all that you're doing. Everybody wants success, but not everybody is willing to put up with what it takes to have that success. So we want to encourage our listeners now by sharing your journey, just just letting them in behind the scenes to hear a little bit about some of the things that you had to overcome in order to enjoy the success that you have today. Are you ready? Sure. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The good news is we're going to start with the good. So I would love for you to tell us a story about the good part of your journey. Uh, I think the good part started when um, my boyfriend at the time, now my husband, um, was the first person that said to me, hey, what happened to you? So I hadn't told anybody. And I was about 30 years old at the time. So I just kind of kept it inside. But when he did that, it opened this weird door of, Hey, all right, you want the answer? I think I'm going to actually answer this. And I answered all of that, but it was like, Holy cow, that's all out there. That's done. And now I can start to become who I really want to be. And you feel invincible when you do that. So it's um, ironically a very good word for that, (laughs) but you do, you feel like, well, if I just did that, I can do anything. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, Yes. So there was a lot of freedom in that. Yes. Tell us about that, about that part. Like it was that like day one, that was the first day of like the rest of your life right there. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> it is because you're like, uh Oh, so somebody knows. So it is because you, you, and I don't, whether it's um, 
you know, I dealt with a lot of child abuse, but a lot of people have other things they've locked in vaults for a very long time. And I had my own reasons for not saying anything, but when somebody, the right person pressed me and you open that door, it's like you've let that out and now you've allowed space for other things. And those other things should be a little bit more constructive and, and allowed me to be who I am today. Yes, for sure. That's amazing. And so now your boyfriend then is now your husband. So, which is, I think is amazing. And I know I mentioned this to you that, that you two were able to um, have that conversation, be, you know, be upfront with everything and forthcoming and that you still were able to build this bright, beautiful future together and not allow all of that to affect it. And I think that's amazing. Thank you. That is, I just, I can't say enough about that. Okay. So we're going to move on. I, but what a, what a gift. What, and you know, and I think we need to create that safe place, right? Like you trusted him enough in such a short time of knowing him, you trusted him enough to actually share that. And I think that that speaks so loudly. Thanks. (laughs) So let's go on to the the bad. The bad. Tell us a story Um, about the bad. I, you know, I have a weird, the bad, um, we have a very successful company. Again, we've been around almost 20 years and we every year we get bigger, better, bigger, better, bigger, better, which is great. I have no complaints that we're financially successful. The problem with that is with that comes pressure, 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 and everybody wants more, 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 more. So what was good 10 years ago now is just crap. And it's, it's almost as if by getting successful, people get greedier. And I don't like that. It, it makes, it's to me, I, I just don't like it, but yet this is my business and we have to be bigger, better, bigger, better. So I have to try to balance all of that at the same time. To me, that's, I, I have a very hard time with that. It's very catch 22. Um, it's the extremists on both sides being very, very rich necessarily isn't something that everybody has to be. And nobody has to be very, very poor there should be an in-between. <laughs> yes. I don't I know agree. if that's a good, bad, but that was a bad for me. This is because that's what I deal with, you know? Yeah. You, that's the struggle that you deal with because yeah. there is so much more money to be made. I mean, once you get onto an idea like you have uh, and everybody wants to do it too, right? So yep. you really do. So you said you have four new properties coming, right? Four yes. new locations. Yeah. So that's good and that's comfortable for you. Fantastic for you. <laughs> yes, yes, I get it. I get it. That's amazing. Congratulations. I mean, we we see people in business on the other side of that too, where they just are having trouble growing and scaling. So, you know, is that a sign of maybe their idea isn't scalable, right? It's not what the world yeah. needs now, right? When you yeah. started Monster Mini Golf, that's what the world needed. And, and ironically, it continues to fulfill that need today, 20 years later. And that's amazing. So, and you're actually located in Vegas, right? I am. Yes. We moved our corporate office here. That's where the KISS location is, right? Yes. Yes. So I think that she's invincible crew needs to take a trip to Vegas. Anytime. anytime. (laughs) So we can all go golfing (laughs) at the KISS location. Oh my gosh. How fun is that? All right. Well, this has been fun, but you know, we have to talk about the ugly because it's in the ugly parts of our life and our experiences that we have the most growth. We have the most opportunity. We have the most 
opportunity to teach and support other people. And that's what we do here. Our mission is to make a huge impact, a positive impact, and to support other women. And so I would love for you to share a little bit about your ugly. Well, I think um, we probably touched a little bit. <laughs> um, my ugly was definitely my childhood. Um, I, you know, we come from uh, not a lot of money. I, I've woken up times we had no hot water. It's it's all the things that you read about. Um, and then you add child abuse onto that and a mom that, you know, uh, kind of thinks he's more important than you are and doesn't want to deal with any of it. Um, but, um, and there's just some things in there that to me, I just decided I was just going to deal with and not tell anybody because I didn't want anybody to know that there was something wrong with me. Nobody. I wanted to wake up in the morning and be a different person, be the normal girl. So, by the time I had graduated from high school, I'd been in 14 different schools. So you become to be, you try to become to be that normal girl all the time. Um, but because of that, and not that anybody should ever have to go through any of that, but because of that, you learn how to survive in situations that most people can't. So when I get hit with something in business or anywhere else, to me, and this, this isn't always a good thing either. To me, I'm like, so what? We fix it. What's the big deal? You have one answer, you have another answer. One's good, one's not so good, but they're still better than death, you know? <laughs> and that's what's come out of it, which is a lot of good, that helps you in business. But also, uh, personally, sometimes you don't look like the nicest person in the world. <laughs> you know, so. I see. I can yeah. see how that could happen. So. Let's go, let's dig a little bit deeper um, on the story of your childhood. And um, I know, you know, in your book, you share that you were sexually abused by your, what do we call him? Your stepfather, your mom's yeah. husband. Yeah, he was my stepdad. But at a very young age, it, it was the only dad I knew. So yeah, but yes, definitely my stepdad. And this started, what age were you? Around four. With, and yeah. that's like what you remember, right? So if yeah. it did happen earlier, or was he in even in your life earlier? Or is that no? They had just they had gotten married when I was around four. Yeah, and that's when it started. Yeah. So yeah, and then when did it stop? Uh, when I left the house at about eighteen. And then you mentioned yeah. that you and your then boyfriend, who's now husband, that you told him when you were around thirty. So yeah, that's the first person I told. So yeah. no one ever knew from four to 18 or 18 to 30. No mm -hmm. one ever knew. Mm -mm. No, but you were, you were writing, you were starting writing your book during that time as well. I wrote after I told my okay. husband, after you told him, then you yeah. started writing. Yeah. I can't even imagine, but I do want to use this opportunity to uh, educate our listeners, the moms, the kids, the dads, whoever's listening yeah. out there, um, grandparents, right? So yeah. we need to be vigilant here. We need to like pull the covers back and we need to uh, really come face to face with the fact that this is a huge problem. Not, not, I mean, it's worse today than ever. I mean, but here we're talking over 40 years ago that this was happening. Yeah. And so I would love to have you share um, just some insight and, and some advice to our listeners about what child abuse looks like um, 
how it disguises itself. What, what does a child go through? You know, the mental part of that, of wanting to hide it or protect, you know, those types of things. So let's start with that. Let's start with as a child, what was holding you back from blowing the whistle? What were you thinking? Way back when I was little, Mm -hmm. all I wanted to do was make my mom happy. She wasn't happy before she was married. I remember that. Um, And I think my parents, not just my mom, my parents, I think instinctively, almost every child, that's your, that's what you do when you're little. How do I make mom and dad happy? I don't, I don't want them upset at me for any reason. And then as you get a little bit older, it's, well, I know this, you know, it's wrong. I mean, but you just don't know what you're young. You're a child. That's really, really young. You you can't make all these great decisions we can now, but, um, but then you fear what's going to happen to me. Uh, my fear was, are they going to put me in an orphanage? Am I going to just going to get tossed away afterwards and they're going to get to live their lives? I was young, you know, and that to me was scarier than dealing with what I dealt with because I'd learned to deal with it. So I thought if I can deal with this and just grin and bear it, then I can stay in, in the family and I can go to a school and I can be normal. So that's the reasoning that started way back when, and then you just condition yourself over years. Um, I will say that, like you said, who does this happen to and, and what kind of child it uh, child abuse abusers don't, they don't discriminate. It is happening in every facet of it just doesn't matter. It's just, it's horrible. It really is horrible. It's boys, it's girls. It's just, it's just a really bad thing, you know, and no one to this day really wants to talk about it. We hear celebrities talk about it a lot and that's new. Um, which is great. And I think that's fantastic that somebody is actually starting to bring it up. But I think that if I was, I try to look back now and I, again, I think it's anybody that's talking about it is fantastic. But if I was that little kid sitting at home and I was watching TV and I saw that, well, I I don't know, my favorite celebrity was talking about this. I'd feel like, okay, that's not just me, but they got away and they did good because they're a celebrity. So I want to be the regular person that's talking about it, that says we can survive this, we can live as normal as we can be, that kind of a life. How do I get out of it and just be normal? How do I get to that point, you know? Yeah. And so then you were 18 and you said it stopped when you were 18 because you moved out, right? So, so yeah, so you weren't available for that um, or accessible to that. So what was your thinking from 18 to 30 that you were still not coming forward or, you know, saying anything? What, What were you thinking then? Then it was harder not to kill him. <laughs> <You're funny. laughs> yeah, um, but yes imagine. and no, it, it got, as you get older, you get smarter, you get wiser. You start to realize, wait a minute. My mom knows because you're smarter and you've moved out of your house. And I had a boyfriend and we lived together. And when my boyfriend got up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, I woke up and I said to myself, is it just me? Or do people just wake up when their other half gets up? And if they're gone for a long time, I would get worried because what if something happened to them? So as those things started to go through my head, I got angry because my mom chose not to protect me. So now you're not dealing with the abuse. 
you're dealing with the repercussions in your head <laughs> and all the anger from the abuse, you know, and, and then trying to put it away because you have to lead a normal life. So my, my vice was work. I worked from the time I was 12 years old. Um, and, and I just haven't, didn't stop working. So, yeah. Uh, you brought up so many good points there. And then you start to wonder, like, first of all, if you can't count on your own parents to protect you, right? Yep. Uh, your mom for say, you know, in either case, um, and then, and that you got older and you knew in your heart that she knew and she did not acknowledge it. And so I definitely want to talk about that a little bit more. Um, and I want to point out what you said, which I think is so important, is it is not just little girls who are being sexually oh. abused. Uh, th this is a sick, sick world that we live in and little boys are are being abused as well. So wake up, wake up. It is happening everywhere. It doesn't matter what the gender is. And we need to do something about it. Let's talk about Let's talk to the moms, okay? So we have moms out there, grandmoms that are listening right now. Tell us some of the signs um, that they should be looking for. Are there certain, are there things that outwardly are happening that they should be looking for if they have a suspicion or things they should be suspicious about? Jeez, yeah, I, I would... I'm going to just go from my own experience because I, and some of these cases are, they just vary so drastically. Um, but one is, yeah, when he's missing from bed, he's missing from bed, <laughs> you know, but that, that's like so obvious to me now. Um, but I don't, to this day, don't hug me unless you're my husband. Don't hug me. I don't like to be touched by anybody and I'm not going to freak out. I will endure it. But if I was a mom looking at my child enduring a hug, from anybody at a very young age, that stands out. You know, why, why are they like that? You, you get, you get to the point where you want to please everybody all the time. You're not the, in, in my case, I wasn't the troublemaker. I was the pleaser, you know? So it, these cases do vary a lot, but I think a lot of moms or dads, if it's happening on the parents in general, I think somewhere, sometimes they, they know it's happening. And some of them are choosing not to say anything. And that's a very, very bad person. But the ones who just, it sits way back there and it doesn't come to the forefront. Um, and then maybe as they get older, it does. And they're afraid of maybe the other half. So sometimes it's not that, hey, I love him more. Maybe they're scared too. Um, that instead of just going to the police or going somewhere, there is one thing that exists now that probably didn't when I was a kid was the school is one of the, best places in the world to go to somebody, whether it's a teacher or the guidance counselor or something, because they have a responsibility, a legal responsibility to say, hey, we need to do something here. Um, and it kind of takes it the burden off the parent if he or she is scared, you know, that's huge. Yeah, that the, didn't they, exist in the 70s. Yeah, they could prevent that. You know, they could protect is what really yeah. I say is they can, if you go to the school, they can, they're an ally. Yeah, they can yeah. definitely protect. Yeah. So, and then um, also, this was one question I wanted to ask you, and this is just a hypothetical thing. What conversation would it have taken for your mom to have with you, for you to have come forward? So this is really big. And I'm going to say this again, like, okay, you're going through this. 
as you got older, you're thinking my mom had to know, but she was not addressing it. What would that conversation look like that your mom would have needed to have with you in order for you to say, yes, mom, this is happening. This is happening to me. You're right. This is happening. I know it's like another thought. Yeah. Is there anything your mom could have said to you? Depends how old, depends how old I was. Um, so the older as a I teenager, got, as a, as a teen, teenager, if she, said, if she said, is something happening to you as a teenager? Um, I wouldn't have trusted her. I didn't trust her at that point anymore. She was not my mom. She was the person who played my mom, you know, but um, I would not have answered her. It had been happening too long. If it, she had asked me younger when I was a little kid, an actual child, then sure, I probably would have said something because you'd hope that she was protecting you. Um, as she got older, she wasn't protecting me. She was finding a way to hide it, I would have thought. She didn't want to deal with it. She didn't no. want to believe that her husband was, no. you know, capable of what he was doing to her daughter. No, and, and if, if you do read the, the memoir, you start to see the personalities of these two parents and how all of that happens. The dynamic between those two people was insane. I know I asked you, but I would love to have you um, share this here was um, at what age do you feel that you would have, if you could have come forward, would have been the best time for you to do that? Uh, I'm going to answer that in two questions. One, when I was young, if I knew any better, but you're a child. You just don't know enough. You're just a real child, you know? Um, and then when I was a teenager, um, it's it's hard when it's happening when you're young and you and you know it's wrong, but you're just dealing with it. But as soon as boys enter your life, and now I've got, holy cow, I'm an actual woman, young woman, and I've got this going on at home, that is its own war of craziness, you know? How do you still be that normal person? Right. And how do you have a normal, you know, teenage relationship with a boy when you're, this is happening at home with your dad, who's supposed to be protecting you. Yeah. That's hard stuff. So let me ask you this. I mean, I'm going all over with this. Like I want to bring, (laughs) I know, I know we've agreed that this is okay. So I, I think our listeners are like, man, she's really pouring it out. Um, but this is good because this is going to help somebody somewhere. And this podcast is listened to all over the world and other countries as well. Um, okay. So we're going to move on to the conversation with your boyfriend at the time. He's your husband now. Of course, we know that, which is amazing that you have been <laughs> married for so long. How many years now? Uh, we got married in 1997. So whatever many years that is. <laughs> That's a long time. That's like a lot. So, um, so, and I want to point this out that you too had only really been dating. You said about one month. Oh yeah. It was new. Yeah. Yeah. It was new. So, you know, I just want to point this out to people that your relationship doesn't have to be 10 years old, 10 years old to be, have a safe place where you can have a, a conversation. So if you are holding something in or hiding something, I know for you, it was the most freedom to be able to tell somebody 
and that that was the first day of the rest of your life. And so, you know, I, I just want to point out that it is in that opening up and sharing it with just one person that you can trust is going to give you the freedom that you need to live a different life without all the bondage and the horrible things. Um, Not that it ever goes away, but you can move on. And so tell us, how did he support you? Like this guy, I can't wait to meet him. I feel like go get him. (laughs) How did he support you? Like that's heavy stuff, right? You're 30. You've only been with him for a month. All of a sudden he he's thinking what the heck happened to you? He's not thinking that. And then boom, right? You drop the bomb. What was the best way? So if you, if we're, we're just talking now, like how can these women be supported or men? How um, did he do that for you? He really did just looked at me and said, what happened to you? <laughs> I was like, well, that's kind of a weird question. He goes, no, no, really. Um, and I don't know what it was. Maybe it was because I was, uh, I was 30. I was, it was the right time. Who knows? But I, but I, or it was him, um, but I answered it. And then he just kept asking more questions and more questions and more questions. And he listened. Um, I also think that in this really crazy messed up world, um, I've always had a sense of humor and it's my, like, you're like, if, if I can laugh about something, I can make it through something. Um, and he has a sense of humor too. But I, I remember, I think most new couples go through that, that new phase where you ask, what was your first day? What was this? What was that? What was that? And we had, um, when he started asking, we went and bought a couple of bottles of wine <laughs> and I'm not even a big drinker and said, all right, I'm going to answer all this, but we're going to need wine. And I remember we were on like a third or fourth bottle and we had gone through, he had asked literally every question that you could possibly ask about the abuse thing and what I knew. And, and you know, I answered whatever I felt I wanted to answer. Um, and then he started answering the regular dating questions, you know, how old were you in first date and blah, blah, blah. And then he said, when was the first time you ever had sex? Now, three or four bottles in, I have answered so many questions at this point. And I remember I was actually was laying on his lap. I'm looking up at him. I went, you want, you want the honest truth? He goes, yeah, of course I do. I said, four. <laughs> and he looked at me like, just like, holy shit, you know? And I just said, and I started laughing because I said, welcome to my life. That's my life. You know? The wine uh, really helped, didn't it? Wine helped. I always say there was a lot of wine there because I can guarantee you I would never have said that on a regular day. But yeah. So, and how do you feel that he supported you um, and accepted this uh, after that? Like, you know, you had the conversation, then what? What happened after that? He made me, he made me, and I say made me because he, he likes to push. He likes to, he likes to do that, which is good and bad sometimes. But he made me um, go talk to a social worker. I didn't want to, nothing to do with him. Um, and he made me do that. And I did it and I was okay with it. You know, um, I made it through the whole thing, but when I got done with it, um, and I remember him saying that day, he said, Christina, you, you're, you're good. I don't need to talk to you anymore. He goes, it's never going to go away, but, but you've learned to manage this. You know, it's, it's not owning you. Um, and I said, okay, his name was Richard. That's like Richard. And I said, okay. And I left there. And then I went home and I started writing. And that's when I started writing my memoir. 
And I just wrote and I wrote and I wrote. And my husband said for six months, all I saw was the back of my head on the computer. <laughs> and I just got it all out. And yes, sure, part of it was therapy, but I was angry. I, I wanted, I didn't want anybody else to have to deal with this, which now, I mean, you can't stop it. It's, it's unfortunate, but we can speak about it to try to make it happen less. There's something wrong with human beings if this is what's happening to children. Absolutely. I agree 100%. And so, you know, we talked about like you go through this, this is happening to you, and then it stops and you're, you know, now you're coming forward with it. But how did this affect you? I mean, it affects you in every part of your life and everything you do. Let's talk about that. Um, There's some of the ways that this affected you as you got older in some of the things that you were doing. It's, I I have, and I think that's the downside is, is that I get angry when people want more than they should out of life. I get angry at greedy people. I get angry at injustice. I get, if somebody is doing something wrong, I I don't want to, I want, I want to call them out because to me, and I think that is a me thing. I didn't, I didn't tell anybody that something wrong was happening when I was little. And now I just want to tell everybody when something is wrong. No, that's not right. Fix it or don't do it. You know, just, just stop. Just stop. Um, that's a repercussion of mine and it's hard. Um, I am a brutally honest person now, you know, if you, if you ask me something, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you an answer. And it, sometimes it's something that I probably shouldn't have told you or shouldn't, you don't want to hear. Um, that's not good all the time. So there's a lot you deal with all the time. Yeah. And I have another question for you. So, um, and I think I might've asked this, but I don't think we answered it. Um, when we were off record, Uh, what looking back now in a perfect world, what would you have done differently if you could go back way back what what is there anything that you would have done differently if you could have I mean besides put a fork in his eye um <laughs> yeah I would have called him out you know I really would have he's 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 passed away now um I've got and I don't want to talk about it there is one more thing on my list of you know things that happened from there um that I do want to fix or do want to stop from happening um, but it's going to take more than me. And one of the reasons I wrote the book is we need an army to take care of this. And I don't have an army yet, but I'm going to try to start one. <laughs> well, when you start one, I want to be yeah. a part of your army. Anytime. <laughs> oh, and I want to encourage our listeners to come forward as well and be a part of this. You know, if we're not part of the solution, then we are just a bigger part of the problem. And we need yeah. to get a handle on this. This is our world and we're leaving it to for generations to come. And we, we really need to make it a safe place and we need to step up and we need to use our voices and use our power and use our resources mm-hmm. and our money. And if I could say there's one real big reason why you should go big and have this huge, huge business with a lot of money <laughs> is because money can help. It does. It does. It helps when you're building an army and you're fighting something like this. 
that more money you can throw into it, the more productive you can be. Yes. And it's unfortunate that it's that way, but it is. And so it I would encourage all of our listeners to team up, get the book, you guys, every nine minutes. Let's not be in the dark anymore. You've been told, you know, now you cannot pull the covers over your head. You heard the story from Christina herself, and she is just one of the millions and millions of others that are going through this today. And we need to stand together and fight this. Christina, thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. Thank you for sharing your story, for writing your book, for creating this amazing company, Monster (laughs) Mini Golf, for all the kids and families out there in the world, for something pure and wholesome and fun and affordable that they can do. I cannot wait. I've never been to Vegas, but I have a few friends that I can't wait to come and visit. And (laughs) you are absolutely (laughs) on the top of that list. Thank you so much. Listen, before we say goodbye, I want to have you finish this sentence for me. Uh The world would be a better place if more people knew blank. The world would be a better place if more people mm, would speak up. Uh, Let me think about that. The world would be a better place if more people prioritized what needs to be in front of everybody else opposed to what they believe they want in front of everybody else. Oh, that's so powerful. Thank you so much. And to our listeners, I don't know where you are in your life or in your business, but if you are face down on the ground right now, get back up, girl, get back up. You can do it. Tell them, Christina. You absolutely can do it. Absolutely. Yes, they can. You did it, right? You faced the darkest night of the soul and you picked yourself up and you went forward and you carried on and you created something amazing as you continue to heal yourself, your mind, your body, and your soul. And if you can do it, they can do it too. Get back up, girl. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. If you were inspired or learned something new, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a review and share us with your friends. For more information about me and how I can support you, please stop on over to my website at camilehman.com and book a free call with me. I'd love to meet you and learn more about how I can support you.